turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty in the pews that look like this. And uh, we'll even put the page numbers at the bottom. Our first passage we're looking at is on page 796. Um, And we're going to get to that in just a minute. First, I wanted to, uh, just in full disclosure and transparency, uh, can I can I give you guys? I mean, is is right now an okay time to give you a confession? All right, I'm going to have a confession right now, and here's what I want to talk to you about. I'm going to let you in a little bit on the world of pastors and preachers. You ever read like you know one of those like inside thoughts of somebody who works at a certain restaurant and you decide you never want to go to that restaurant again after you've read those inside thoughts? And um, I, I want to talk to you a little about what goes on in the mind of pastors on Easter Sunday. And I just want to be honest with you about it. I'm just going to be dead honest with you. Like, this is one of the weirdest days for pastors. And here's why. Like, we know there's going to be a ton of people here that aren't normally here. And we have mixed emotions about that as pastors. And so, like, part of it, it's like, it's like Super Bowl Sunday, right? Like, we're, we're like, man, if we can get, you know, like, get a nice suit on, and we can clean the place up, do the music just right, maybe we can impress you enough that maybe you would want to come back again the next week. But that's not usually how it happens. And, and so, you know, as the pastor, you, you struggle through these things. And so, you, you really do. You, you start to think, man, you know, how do I take advantage of this? What do I do? What's the best approach for me as a pastor? So I've heard, I've heard all sorts of different Easter sermons, man. I've heard pastors, um, you know, come up with really cool gimmicky things for that day that are really impressive and you're blown away. And I've seen some of that stuff like that. I've seen, I saw one guy, man, just rail the people that came there just for Easter and Christmas and just like lay the guilt trip down on them. Uh, I don't intend to do that today. Um, I've seen all different sorts of approaches. And so as I was praying about how to approach today, my big deal, man, is transparency. So I wanted to start with that and let you know, man, it's, it's kind of an overwhelming thing to try to figure out what to do. So what I decided is, is I'm not going to be able to impress you enough about me. I'm not that good of a preacher. And, and our music's good, but it's, it's, not, it's not amazing enough that you're going to decide to, to stop your entire life routine and change it. But here, here's the deal. What, here's what I decided. I decided that it doesn't matter to me ultimately today whether you decide to come back here or not. And not in a negative way, not in a like, I don't like you. I mean, I'd love for you to come back, trust me. But in a, here's what I decided. More than that, here's what I want to do today. More than any of that, I want to try to convince you today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is literally, literally, not, not some sort of preacher exaggeration, embellishment, you know, the fish was this big, but literally the most important and impactful moment in history. So, so not, only, not only is it literally that which we've shaped all of history around and it's changed the world more than anything else. And at this sunrise service, we talked all about evidence that I could prove to you that the resurrection actually happened. If you want to talk about that more, I'd love to talk to you about that. But I'm not even going to go into that today. I just want to, today, we're going to go into the message assuming that the resurrection was real because I'm convinced that it was. And not only that it was real, but there's literally nothing more important on the face of this earth ever. And, and here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to let that impact you 
in some sort of life-changing way. And I'm not necessarily concerned with that life-changing way being you coming to this church. Because I want to tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, as a pastor, I want to tell you, church attendance by itself means nothing. I mean, it means nothing. It just means you were here. That's all it means. I, I want to honor the God of the universe as we look at this today. And so if you'll look at this with me, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 796. And if you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to read... We're going to read through a little bit of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to skip down to verse 13. And not that the other verses aren't important, just these are the ones we're going to focus on for today. Now, the reason we stand is that I'm convinced that really this is the most important thing that you will encounter today. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be anything else. It's going to be what this Bible has to say. So starting in verses 1 through 4, and then we will... Jump ahead to verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And the reason he's talking to them about this is they're they're debating whether not only resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection is even real. And so this is what the Apostle Paul has to say. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Skip ahead to verse 13. But, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are all still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You may be seated. Let's pray. God Almighty, as we dive into your word this morning, my prayer is that you speak louder than me, that your word jump into our hearts and help us fall more in love with you. God, you are so good. I'm so grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through a little drawing for you. And so um, you'll see the drawing come up, little bits and pieces as we go. Um, If you you want to draw it on your 
card or grab something out of the pew and drop it on the back of that, I would encourage that. Um, it's going to be three circles. They don't intersect. You'll see it more as we go. But first, I want to talk about this. Why, why, why is the resurrection important? Why is it relevant? What does it have to do with you today? Well, here's the deal. Whether it's Easter Sunday or any Sunday, there's, there's several reasons that people typically go to church. And typically people go to church because, one, there, there's some of the five, what do they call the Ds? The death, disaster, divorce, disease. There's something going on in your life that's kind of put your life a little bit in turmoil. Things have happened. Things aren't going the way you intended them to go for whatever reason. You've decided that, man, I've been doing life on my own for a little while, and it hasn't been working out. And so you think, maybe I'll go to church, and maybe I'll hear a word from the Lord that'll put me on the right direction. I'm going to tell you, if you pay attention today, that's exactly what you're going to get. Because let's talk about why the resurrection is important, but to do that, let's start all the way back at the beginning for a second. See, God designed the earth to work in a certain way. See, in the beginning, that story, Adam and Eve, there was this word that God used to describe what was going on there, shalom. It kind of means peace, rhythm, uh, really kind of means like everything's just clicking, right? You ever have one of those days where just, man, everything, I know they don't happen very often, but have you ever had one of those where it's just like, man, it's just clicking, like you had every green light, everything was going good, like it just, every once in a while, maybe you didn't have a whole day, but just a little while, that's what was going on in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they're chilling with God. So we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, we see, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So here's the deal. Here's our picture. You'll bring it up. Maybe. We don't have a picture? All right. That's all right. I can draw. You're not going to be able to see it as well as on the screen. I don't know what happened. I don't have a pen. All right. Here we go. Impromptu. Let's do this. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a card or your bulletin or something. And eventually, and so, so you leave room for them all. Eventually, you're going to want to have three circles. All right. Everybody see that? All right, they don't intersect. Now, this top circle, what I want you to write in that top circle is the words, God's design. Here's, here's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with the fact that, okay, whatever it is in your life that's not going the way that you intended it to go, whether it be your marriage, your finances, your, oh, we got it, man, look at that. We're, we're, we're one ahead, but it's okay. You're, you're skipping ahead of my story and letting it reveal my secrets, but it's okay. Um, so, so we're in God's design, and, and we're in that shalom, but something messed it up, right? And because we put up another slide, you know what it is. It's sin, because here's the deal. Here's, here's the deal. Here's why sin messes it up. We can't do this on our own. See, God isn't just God. He isn't just creator of the universe. He isn't just the one who loves us. He's the one that really all good things come from, and he is perfection. 
And so God had a design for the way that things were supposed to go, and then we went our own direction with that. But the problem is we can't do it ourselves. So if we look at that, we can't do it ourselves. Let's look at Romans one twenty five and Proverbs 14.12. Romans one twenty five says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So in other words, if you read all throughout Romans 1, it's talking about this fact that really through the way that God designed his world, because if you think about it, no matter what you believe, if you get out in nature, there's just something about the magnitude of it all, isn't there? I mean, no matter what, where you stand on this God thing, there's something about the magnitude of it all and the majesty of it all. That no matter how beautiful our skyscrapers and our art, man, it's just got nothing on the beach or the mountains or the Grand Canyon or a beautiful forest. I mean, it just, we can't do that. And so we see in this that there's this God that's designed things and, and we can't do it on our own. And Romans 1 says that instead of worshiping the creator of all that, what we've done is we've decided to worship creation. And you'll go, man, I've never bowed down to a mountain or to anything created. You may have never physically gotten on your knees and bowed down, but let me tell you what we probably have done. What we've all done is we've decided that money or popularity or things or our spouse was more important than God. And and understand, that's what worship means. The word worship is talking about what we make ultimate, what we make the most important thing. And so anything other than God, which you got to understand is there's God is one category, and there's all the things that he created is a whole other category. The only one in this first category is God. Everything else goes in the second category. So anytime we've made anything, including ourselves, ultimate, or more important than God, that's what we're worshiping. And we're worshiping the created things rather than the one who created them. That's what Romans 1 tells us about. Proverbs 14, 12 says, and it says it again in Proverbs 16, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So we've got a natural instinct, right? We've got a way that immediately we think things are supposed to go. Just like when you go to the doctor's office and you hit your knee and you're leg flies up, that natural instinct. We've got a natural instinct for the way that things are supposed to go in our lives. Like there's a way that it seems right to us, right? Like, and, and somehow when we read scripture, if we're honest, man, it's got a whole different way of doing things, doesn't it? Like we got our way of doing things and the scripture's got this whole other set of way of doing things. And it just doesn't seem right at times. It doesn't seem right that we wouldn't repay our enemies for what they've done to us. It doesn't seem right that we would put others above us. It seems right that I would look out for me. That's what seems right. What seems right is none of you are taking care of me, so I'm going to take care of me. What the Bible tells me to do is to be a servant, not served. To try to outdo each other in showing honor. To turn the other cheek. That just doesn't seem right. Now, there's a way that seems right to us. And maybe, maybe the church life doesn't seem right. But there's a way that seems right to us, and I'm going to tell you, it doesn't end well. We can't do this 
on our own. So what went wrong? What went wrong? We went wrong. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Eventually. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what went wrong? We went wrong. We went from God's design and we went our own way. And when we go our own way, instead of remaining in God's design, that's called sin. That's what the Bible calls it. You can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter what terminology you use. It's the fact that God designed things to go one way and we end up deciding to go another. So, the problem is, what does that lead to? Because we can't do it on our own, it leads to brokenness. Anytime we venture off from God's design and we go our own direction... It ends up in brokenness. And what are those little squiggly lines? Well, those squiggly lines are, once we realize we're broken, we end up going to all sorts of things to try to fix it, right? We realize, man, it's broken. I've been doing this on my own. I've been doing this my own way, and it just didn't work. I can't do it on my own. It didn't work. And so we end up going off all sorts of directions that lead to nowhere, a road to perpetuity. So what do we do? Well, here's the beauty. Jesus does what we cannot do. We can't do it on our own, but Jesus does what we cannot do. Now, you probably all know this one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This, This means that God's love, the magnitude of God's love was so big that even though We're the reason he's on the cross. Even though our sin is the reason he's there, he loves us so much that he willingly did it. And not only willingly did it, but he willingly let let us enter into loving relationship with him afterwards. I was talking this morning at our sunrise service, and we were talking about how when Jesus was at the Last Supper, one of the things that he told the disciples, and this this was so key as I was studying this, it just kind of, stood out to me. It was beautiful. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. He's doing the Last Supper, and he tells them two things that he predicts the future on, because he's God, and he knows how to do that. He tells them first, he says, all of you are going to fall away because of me tonight. And he's quoting Zechariah chapter 3 when he says that. And, and so he says, all of you are going to fall away because of me tonight. And it's a prophesied thing out of Zechariah. But then, here's the beautiful thing that he says. He says, but I, after I rise, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, here's why that's really beautiful. He's basically just told the disciples, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get put on the cross. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to get humiliated. And you're going to leave me there to die. You're all going to leave. Every one of you. See, we thought he just told Peter that, but he tells them all, you'll all fall away from me. You'll all fall away because of me tonight. So imagine it like this. You and your friend are hanging out. You're walking downtown. 
and somebody comes to mug you. And right as they come to mug you and they pull a gun, you grab your friend and you throw him down in front of the muggers and you run. That's dirty. And so the next day, you're at Walmart and you see your friend that you threw down in front of the muggers. What's going through your mind? This guy's about to kill me. I just, I threw him down in front of these guys. That, and you see he's got like a bloody nose, a black eye. He's got a, like this weird limp and he's holding his shoulder weird. And he comes up to you and you're scared. You're like, man, what is this dude going to say to me? What is he going to say? And he comes up to you and he goes, oh man, I'm so glad you got out of there. And he gives you a hug. That would be so weird, wouldn't it? I would be scared. Because I'd be like, not, this dude's not just going to get me back. He's playing something real shady. When Jesus tells the disciples, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee, he's saying, you're going to leave me for dead tonight. But I'll meet you in Galilee. And we will have fellowship again. Jesus does what we can't do. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, here's where I want you to stop for a second. Because this very easily could be just like when you're on a plane and they start to do the safety instructions and you just ignore it because you've heard it so many times. Look, I know when you come to Easter, you know I'm going to preach about the resurrection and about Jesus dying on the cross. You'd be surprised if I got up here and started teaching on giving. But even though we know all this, even though this is true to us and and you're not surprised that I'm saying this, please don't let it pass by without the weight of what's really going on here hit you just a little bit. The weight of the fact that you, just like his disciples, left him for dead. That you are to blame. I am to blame. The reason he had to get on a cross the God, think about it, the God of the universe that's worthy of all people worshiping him. That's worthy of everyone worshiping him. He stooped down in such a way that he was beaten, sped upon, all of his own will. And then he does this because of his love for us. So what do we do about it? Well, we repent and we believe. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And what does the word repent mean? It means, although God created it in God's design, right? That first circle. We've walked off on our own direction and we're now going our own direction. Repent is to turn around to realize that we are in our own brokenness because of ourselves, that it's not God who placed us in this brokenness, it's us who placed us in this brokenness. See, a lot of people, a lot of times people want to complain because they say, man, God dealt me a bad hand in life. And look, I understand that circumstances may be tough for you. This is a fallen and broken world, every bit of it. Romans chapter 8 says it 
the whole creation was subjected to futility. And it all groans with the pains of childbirth, waiting, waiting for us to be redeemed as the sons and daughters of God. Maybe you've been dealt a bad hand. I'm going to tell you, largely, a lot of the brokenness that you're in is your own doing. And if it's not yours, it's just that we're in a broken world. It may not be your fault. You may have been seriously dealt a horrible hand. And I don't know. I don't know what hand you've been dealt. I do know we're offered the same thing, no matter what hand we've been dealt. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do we do? Let's continue. We repent and we believe. See, we start out. God created the world in God's design. And when we step out on our own, we end up in brokenness. But if we'll realize that we can't do this, and we will repent and turn around and put our faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We sometimes talk about this all the time. People get mad because Christians say that Jesus is the only way. I'm going to tell you, I'm so grateful that God gave us a way. I'm so grateful. There is a way. This is a, look, when you're in a phenomenally desperate situation, you are not in a position to be bargaining for a bunch of different ways. If you're stuck in quicksand and I tell you, man, I want to throw you this rope and I'm going to pull you out and you go, man, I don't like rope burn. I'm sorry. I didn't choose for there to only be one way. I'm grateful that there is. I'm grateful that our God, who would be perfectly just and right to leave us in our sin, not only, and here's the deal, not only chose to give us a way out, but chose to be the one to take the punishment for us to have a way out. He didn't just throw us a rope. He got in the quicksand. So yeah, this is not arrogant of God. This is not selfish of God to only give us one way. It's actually selfless. He put himself on the line so that we could have a way out of our sin. So then, once we believe, we repent, we get to be in the process of recovery and pursuing God's design in our life. Now, go back to what it was, that broke, what brokenness you're in in your life. I don't know what brokenness it is. I'm not going to promise you that if today you repent and believe that all of a sudden you'll be perfectly back in God's design. We still live in a broken and fallen world. I can tell you that your way is going to lead to more brokenness. You can begin the process of recovery and pursuing God's design. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship. That word uh, poema, it means poetry or masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Where are you in this diagram? What point in the process do you find yourself? If you're honest, I'm not asking you to turn this in. I'm not asking you to raise a hand. I'm not even asking you to circle it. I'm asking you, I was honest with you from the beginning. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you find that you know what God's design was and you've just, man, you've just strayed off and you're living in kind of that arrow coming off of sin? And it's led you to brokenness and maybe, maybe you've been trying some of these squiggly lines up here and you've been trying to figure out some way out of it. Or maybe today. And I want to tell you, more than you ever coming back to this church, more than how many people are here, or even more than how nice this suit looks. More important than anything. I would love to see you today repent and believe. And let us walk with you or let some other church walk with you and you recover and pursue. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're in recover and pursue. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord, you've repented, you've believed, you've trusted Him, you're trying to walk it out. Well, I want to tell you, if that's you, who do you know that needs to hear this? One of the reasons I chose to use this diagram and asked you to draw it because it's super easy. So who do you know, if you're, if you're in that recover and pursue and you're living this out, who do you know that you need to go draw these circles with? But if you're not in that recover and pursue, in a few minutes you're going to have an opportunity to do something. And I'm going to give you a few different ways to do it. If you want to come forward and talk to me or or if we, if we get a whole bunch, I'll have other people come up. Or if you'll look in the pew in front of you, there's a card. And on that card, you can put your information. You can put that you want to become a Christian or you want to be baptized or you want to join the church. Or if there's something else you want to talk about, you can cross all those out and write it there. You can drop that in the offering plate when it comes at the end of the service. Or you can bring it and hand it to me directly. But listen, do not leave here in that first part of this thing. What does the resurrection have to do with any of this? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. through 4. 
in that passage, we see a few things. We see one is by which you are being saved. That's that recover and pursue process. See, there's, in salvation, a lot of times what people want to think about, and here's, here's why I think this, this, these, this diagram is important too. A lot of times what we think about is, yes, I walked an aisle one time and I said a prayer. Listen, if that's it, that's not repent and believe. You're not in that, if you're still just in that brokenness part and there's no recovery going on in your life, at, at any stage, at any point, if you're the same person spiritually or worse off than you were two years ago, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I don't know your heart. But I'm going to tell you, when you give your life to the Lord, I'm not saying it's easy or that it's perfect. I'm just saying there is some perpetual move forward, even if there's three steps back, and a couple of steps forward, there's this recovery process, and it's slow, and it's, it's a process by which we are being saved, which we've got to hold fast, stand firm in it, believe not in, in vain. This is of first importance. And he says that Christ died for our sins. Not only that he died for our sins, as if this were some made-up thing, but in, accordance, in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with hundreds Hundreds of prophecies written long before Jesus ever came. Why? Because from the beginning of the earth, this was the most significant thing that would ever happen. And it was written about long before it even happened. And that it was buried and then raised on the third day. And the last passage I want to show you is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 34. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's what they were giving testimony to. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and bought the proceeds of what was sold. Here's what I want you to understand. The resurrection changes everything. You can't do this on your own. But if you will repent and believe and submit yourself to the recovery and pursuit of God's design, and here's the key part, not alone. If you read that, you see, yes, they were preaching the testimony of the resurrection, but you also see when they dove into life with each other. Why was there not a needy person among them? Because they did life together. Because they became a community. They didn't just become a gathering of people that come and listen to somebody preach. They became a community of people doing life together. That's my prayer here is that we walk that process together never alone because on your own you will only find brokenness but through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of brothers and sisters in Christ around you you won't find perfection on this side of glory but you will find peace and joy and acceptance and people to do it with And when you fall, you'll find people to pick you up and carry you. So that's what we talk about today. So here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take one of those cards. Hopefully there's enough. If not, you can share. And either, either write your name on it and let me know that you want to repent and, and become a Christian today. You'd like to talk more about that, and I'd love to talk with you about it. Or on the back, start thinking about who are a few people you know that need to hear this? Who do you need to leave here and go talk to them and hear about their brokenness and say, I'm going to tell you, God's got a better design for your life. Let me draw this on this card or this napkin for you. Look, more than a whole bunch of people attending here, I would love to hear a whole lot of stories about you sharing this with other people out there. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond. If you want to come talk to me and pray with me, I'm here. If you want to just fill out a card, drop in the offering plate, let me get in touch with you later, that's also an option. Let's pray. God Almighty, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm broken. And I cannot do this without you. Lord, I pray that you not let this message rest easy on our hearts, but Lord, that let each and every one of us be impacted by the power and the grace and the mercy of your resurrection. That though we left you for dead, you would fellowship with us. Lord, may your spirit move. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.